great to be with you here. This is fine Sunday morning. I um, I have, I'm struggling with this this teaching, preaching, whatever you want to call it, that I'm going to be doing here in a second. Um, before I get into it, I've got some announcements that I need to make. Uh, number one, a uh, pastor texted me and, and said he's decided to stay in Brazil for, just kidding. He said that um, tonight uh, we are going to open up the church in, in prayer as, as we normally do. There is no prayer class, uh, but obviously we invite you to come and, and pray. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in Brazil that, that we're excited about, that the Lord is doing. Um, we, we want to seek the Lord and be sensitive to the work going on there in Brazil. There were some powerful meetings at the First Roots Church. Uh, yesterday, they ministered at a Saturday morning pastor's breakfast, and then at midnight, three churches joined in prayer on a mountain for about 90 minutes, in uh, a 90-minute drive outside of Sao Paulo. Um, there were hundreds of other people scattered throughout the woods in the dark, praying loudly in the spirit. That must have been a, a scary sight. Um, so obviously they, they left at about midnight. They drove for about an hour and a half. So one in the morning, they're out there in the woods um, praying, inviting the Lord to be there. Uh, many proscuneoed on the ground under the tree lined sky. Um, we did not get back to our lodging until 3.30 a.m., so about that time is usually when Pastor wakes up. So I'm sure he just kind of skipped all that. Uh, and now they're on to a full day of ministry. There are many hungry churches and pastors here. We need the agreement in prayer of the saints. So tonight, just come um, to to establish that, to just gird them up in, in prayer and, and to just thank the Lord for what he's doing there and uh, the many opportunities that God is opening for the saints. Um in that land. We thank you, Lord. On Wednesday, uh, there is, we are going to try to do a, a sort of live stream in the youth room, uh, so come prepared for that. We, we want to um, obviously show our solidarity and our love and, and, and to just to, to be together on Wednesday. So um, in lieu of some sort of sermon, there probably will be some small discussion, but more than anything, it's going to be a, a live stream from Brazil and, and Pastor wanted me to ask Brother Scott, if you need any help, please let me know. Um, he always does a great job on, on those things and, and getting all the, the stuff that needs to get done together. Um, but if you need help, let me know. But, but just be excited, be ready, because uh, we know that the Lord is doing something great in Brazil. And, and this sounds like it's going to be a, uh, a, um, an announcement of that, if you will. Amen. Okay. So no class, prayer, Wednesday, Brazil, good to go. All right. I, I've, I've been struggling. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, I've been struggling with this particular sermon um, all night. It, it's something that, you know, as, as I study and, and I look into Scripture, um, you know, you always want to come up here obviously prepared, but more than prepared, it, it's you want to come up here looking like like you know who God is, and, and that you love him, and you study all the time, and you want to get into the deep meat of the Lord, and you want to share something that's uh, expository and, and exciting, and you want 
you want to you share something that, that no one has ever heard before, and, and um, it's the kind of thing where, where at the end of the sermon, people come up to you and they say, wow, I've never seen that perspective. Those, those type of sermons um, jazz me up. They get me excited because it, it's, it, it really strengthens my relationship with God whenever he speaks to me that way. And then there's other sermons that I get, and, and I feel that, um, that everybody knows this, Lord. They've heard this. They, they know what to do. Why am I saying this? And um, I get to a place where I'm like, okay, let me, let me go find something deeper. And then the Lord pulls me back and he says, hey, calm down, do this. And, and I, keep, I keep trying to thrust myself into the throes of, of scripture and the Greek and the Hebrew and, and all this stuff. And, and then there's times when the Lord just, again, he, he pulls me back and he says, let's look at this. Let's look at this. I, I was in a leadership training um, the other day. It, it's a two-day course, and having, being in this world as a, as a technical trainer, I, I know about training. I know about leadership. I'm a, I'm a senior manager of a group of people. I've been a youth pastor for, you know, almost 20 years. Uh, I lead people here at the church at conferences. I'm a speaker. I, I know the, the foundations of leadership, and, and so I go into those classes Open-minded and optimistic, I, I, I understand the difficulties that any trainer has in, in getting their class engaged. And when you think about something like leadership to a bunch of managers, which manager's going to go in there not thinking, I already know this stuff, right? What manager's not going to go in there thinking, I could teach this class? And, and so I, I try to go in there, like I said, with an open mind and, and just receptive to whatever this, this instructor wants to do. Um, it, it, it doesn't help. When they start the video, the the class out with the video that was made in the 1970s, because then you think, well, how old is this class, and is it relevant for today? Um, but I, you know, again, I sat there and I just listened, and again, open and receptive. I I learned something. There was things that that you see in those classes that are foundational, but they remind you of things that you should be doing that you already know you should do, but for whatever reason you don't have time or you're not thinking about it. And, and so maybe those things kind of fall down a little bit. Um, and so I, I recommitted myself to be a better leader. I, I reaffirmed the idea that, yes, these are best practices, and I need to follow them. And, and to me, that's what this sermon uh, has turned into. Um, there, there's a saying nowadays. I said this in Sunday school. There's a saying nowadays that you have to live your truth. You have to live your truth and and it's 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 crazy that that we live in this world now um where anything goes you 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 be you there's no judgment you be you 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 do you is another one right um it, it's truth is not about the perspective of the event you know there's there's that other saying right there's there's three views your view my view and the truth all right, and the truth somehow fits in the middle or, or something. Maybe it's closer to you or closer to me. Uh, I, as I was taking my CHL, my concealed handgun license class, the instructor asked us uh, to, to role play, to, to um, think in our minds about this scenario. And, and the scenario was you're, you're in the parking lot uh, of, a, of a grocery store. You're, you're heading back. You've got your, your handgun with you. And, and across the lot, you see a man 
taking a child and the child is kicking and screaming and, and they're taking this child into the van um, and as the child is you know, yelling, what do you do? Do you pull out your, your handgun and defend that child? Do you harm this person? Do you confront them? Um, and, and so there was a lot of debate going on. And, Yo, you never know. And, you know people, some people would have shot on site, no questions asked. Those are the ones that hopefully failed the class. Um, others were like, well, you don't know what's going on. And, and I, I, as I'm thinking about it, I thought, well, what if that was their child? How many of you have children? I have two. And I can't tell you how many times I've taken them kicking and screaming into the car and had to force them in there because they didn't want to go or whatever. And, and so you, you kind of, as, as horrible as this sounds, you manhandle them right into the car seat and you're frustrated and they're screaming. And, and so I, I can't even imagine if I'm going through that situation and someone comes over and just shoots me for, for trying to be a good parent, uh, obviously not doing a good job of it, but that, that's what I'm thinking about, you know? And, and so that from that perspective, you think about, well, what is truth, right? I thought this child was in danger. I, I defended the child. That's true. I, I was doing something in, in earnest, in, in honesty. The father, I, I'm just trying to get my kid in the car. So which one is, is truth? And, and the truth is not about facts. Truth is, is about the, the, the principles that, that have been the foundation of the world since the very beginning. And, and, and the determining of that truth in this world of noise is, is one of the hardest things that we will ever experience because we have to find truth. We have to find the Lord for ourselves. I, I, I want to go back to the foundation of what we believe because, because there is so much noise out there in this world right now because there are people um, in our network, outside of our network, that, that have a voice, that are not without significance, that, that, are, that are spouting uh, or spewing um, truth as they see it for themselves. And, and they are gathering followers, and they are um, taking the elect and, and twisting what it is that people believe. So I, I want to get as foundational as possible. And I apologize to those of you who feel, well, I already know this. God bless you. Be reaffirmed in your faith. But, but I'm, the reason I'm doing this, the reason I feel the Lord wants me to do this, is to put out there the, the firm foundation of belief of, of me, of this church, of this denomination, this, this network, uh, from the very beginning. And, and we're going to start at the very beginning with uh, belief in God. We believe in God. And, and if you think about that divergence, right? There are, there are two camps, well, there's actually three, but uh, two main camps of belief in God. You either believe in God or you don't believe in God. There's, there's a third one that sits somewhat in the middle. I believe in, I believe that there is a God, but I don't believe that that particular being cares about me or has anything to do with me. I believe there is a higher power, but I don't believe that that higher power necessarily cares or worries or thinks about me as an individual or us as, as a group. That's agnosticism, right? So there's atheism. I don't believe that there's anything out there. There's that agnostic somewhere in the middle, and then there's that, that theistic, the deistic. I believe that there is a higher power. 
That does not include aliens. If you believe in aliens, then that's the higher power. That's the atheism side. Okay? You believe in a higher power, a deity that has established things here as an, uh, on earth. And, and to be very clear about this, it, it gets down to the, the foundation of creation versus evolution, right? That, that, that's tricky because there are some Christians um, or, or theistic people who believe in evolution. We'll talk about that later. But, but when you really break it down, it's about do you believe that someone, something created this universe, this earth, or do you believe that it just happened? Breaking that down, however, you look at something like the Big Bang. That's, that's where everything started according to science, the Big Bang. According to science, there was a, 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 a molecule of infinite energy that at some point in time exploded to create this universe. And the questions that scientists asks, uh, ask about God, where did he come from? What was he doing before he created the earth? Where is he going? Are the same questions that you can ask about that molecule. Well, where did it come from? What happened before the molecule, before the Big Bang? What's, what's the time frame pre-Big Bang? Was it there for millions and millions of years and then one day decided to explode? Was it there for a, a, an instant, a fraction of a second before? When does time start? When does it stop? So the same questions, the, the fundamental questions that, that atheists have about God are the same questions that they're not answering or asking about their own belief, which is about the Big Bang, right? We both believe that there is a time, a place in time where either God or the Big Bang said, let there be something. For us, it was God who said, let there be light. And he creates this, this vast universe, this world um, that, that we call our home. For the atheist, it was a Big Bang that started this, this um, convalescence of molecules and began to cool and create planets and, and the cosmos, et cetera, et cetera, and then began to evolve into what we call humans today. That's, that's what they believe. We believe that God created us. So at, your, at the very foundation, when you separate those two things, you either believe in God or you don't believe in God. That's what separates humanity today at the, at the very base level, right? So we believe in God. We're on this side of the camp, the good side. We're on the, this side of the camp believing that there is a God uh, and then that God cares about us and, and there is something that, that God wants us to know or do uh, or to be involved with. I, I question, again, this whole idea of the Big Bang because it's a theory, for one. They've never been able to prove anything. It's conjecture. Uh, the same could be said about God if, if they really wanted to be nitpicky. Um, I question evolution because when you think about the primordial soup that was millions and millions of years ago, the, uh, supposedly these two molecules came together and they created complex proteins and those complex proteins started to develop into what we know as DNA and that DNA began to sprout and, and the first semblances of life were single-celled organisms that then began to take on the characteristics of plants and animals and, and so I wonder, you know, as, as it's a plant, what is, what is the natural transition evolution from plant to fish to walking on land to monkey to human? It, it just it doesn't jive. It doesn't make sense. You're, you're basically saying that, that the very foundation of humanity is, was a plant or this single-celled organism. 
I, I think about the complexity of how God designed this body and, and what evolution preaches. Evolution preaches that, that over millions and millions and millions of years, natural selection steered the, and mutation steered the course of the human body or, or life itself. And, and I, I wonder about all the things that have to work in the human body for the human body to function. You think about waste management. Waste management is huge to the human being. It can kill you if your body is not able to regulate nutrition intake and output. That is something that, that is designed very, very explicitly inside the human body. The way that, our, that our, our stomach takes and digests and then it goes in through a large intestine, small intestine, and does all these things in order to get to where it needs to go at the very end. All of that to have taken millions and millions and millions of years is one thing. But you have to couple this with everything else that has to work in your body. At what point did this thing, this plant, let's just call it a plant, this plant mutate and said, you know what, I need to create vision so that I can see what's going on around me. At what point in time did, did um, this single cell organism decide, I need to have eyeballs. And so it mutated and had, it got this eyeball thing and now it can see and now it's got ver several variations of the eyeball. At what point did it say, I need appendages? At what point did it say, I need to learn how to breathe oxygen? because I'm no longer uh, on, on, the, on the water, right? Oh, there's a lot of questions that we have to ask about evolution because not one scientist can answer it for you today. The same is true, right, when they ask us questions about God, there's a lot of things we can't answer. It's unknowable. And, and so they push back on us and say, see, you, you, don't, you believe in something that you can't even answer. We, we have an answer to that. But they themselves cannot answer questions about what they believe. So at the very foundation, we both, both believe something, and we both take it on faith. Don't we agree on that? We both believe something, and we both take it on faith. Because that first single cell organism didn't write down, okay, here's my journey of becoming a plant, and here's my journey of becoming an animal, and then here's my journey of becoming human. We believe it on faith. Well, they believe it on faith, but we also believe it on faith. But at the very, very foundation, we believe that there is a God and that that deity created us. And he, he, he fashioned, formed this world, and he had a design and a plan for humanity. We believe in that one God, and, and I want to I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but I have to read scripture here. Um, Mark chapter 12, verse 29, and it's not going to be up there. I, I just did not have time to, to give it to Brother Scott, but, but we're going to read it. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. There is one God. In the Old Testament, again, putting the cart before the horse, the Old Testament shows us this idea that there is one God. And, and when you think about religion and what it is that we believe, this is where we diverge. 
Okay, so the, the first divergent point was, do you believe in God or do you not believe in God? We are of the camp that we believe in God. There, from there, there is a divergence on what, what is the definition of God. And there are three religions that believe in this deity called Yahweh, and those are Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Most other religions believe in, in a pantheon of gods, more than one God. They believe that there are multiple out there. They believe that um, all these gods either have various degrees of power or levels of power and authority, and that they're out there, and, and they, they perform very specific functions, or um, they, they relate to you in very specific ways. For the Native Americans, they believed in, in the, the earth being a spirit and having its own source of power. For um, the, the Buddhists, they believed that the universe was, was less of a, a deity and more of a natural force, like, like a Jedi or something, right? So there's all these beliefs out there about this deity that, that begin to diverge us or, or put us into pockets of people. Uh, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are the only ones that believe in this idea that there is one singular deity out there. That's where we diverge, right? That's where we believe in, in this God, Yahweh, um, that, that created, that formed the basis for everything that we believe. The, the divergent point from there is Jesus. Because the Muslims believe in a God, they call him Allah. Ju uh, the Jews believe in God, they call him Yahweh. And the Christians believe in God, also called Yahweh. But where we diverge from those other sects of, of religion is in Jesus. Jesus is the next divergent path for us. So whether you believe in, in a pantheon of gods or one God, from there the natural place then is, okay, so what did that God do? And what he did was, for us, he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. The Jews don't believe that. They believe in a Messiah, but they don't believe Jesus was that Christ, that Messiah. Uh, the Muslims believe that Jesus existed and that he was a prophet, but they don't believe that he uh, necessarily died for our sins and then is the harbinger of the kingdom of God to this earth. Okay? That's the divergent path right there. So when you think about what we fundamentally believe as Christians, it's A, there is one God, and B, that one God sent his son or himself down to this earth as a um, sacrifice for our sins. And, and this is really where it gets impactful for us because we are, Christianity, uh, is the only religion that believes that you cannot get to heaven or to the higher plane on your own. Hear me on that. You cannot get to heaven or that higher plane on your own. You are not worthy enough. You are not capable of. You cannot get there on your own. Every other religion, every other religion says, if you do good things, and here's the definition of some of those things, if you do good things, they will get you to heaven or to that higher plane. Every other religion. The main difference between us and them is that we believe you cannot get there on your own. How do we get there? Through Jesus. 
he died as a sacrifice for your sin. And when you think about that, um, Mark, my brother Mark this morning said we get too analytical sometimes, and, and I agree. That's our problem. So I'm going to get analytical with you here because that is the problem out there right now in this world is everybody's overanalyzing these ideas that I'm putting forth, the foundation. They're overanalyzing these things and not taking it as spiritual truth, and therefore they're questioning things that, that they're not going to get answers to because they're putting on blinders. So let me get analytical with you about, about Jesus and what he did and why he did it and all that. Um, when you think about Jesus and his sacrifice, you have to understand that, that as, as Christians, we believe, and, and many others, others do too, that you are a sinner. Now, whether you were born a sinner or not, that's, that's in contention around this world, right? Whether you were born a sinner or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is that you will sin at least one time in your life. At bare minimum, you will sin at least one time in your life, okay? Whether it's through disobedience as a child, you think about children, right? They're growing up. Is, is a baby sinful by nature? I mean, you're, you're going to make that argument. We're all born into sin. I get it. But I'm just saying, in action, is that baby a sinner? It is when it cries in the middle of the night, you have to get up, right? But is it sinning? Is it, is it willfully doing something that is, that is anti the law of God? Many would argue no, right? That the, the assemblies had this, this idea of, um, of, a, of an age of accountability. There's a point in time in your life when God says, okay, you are old enough, you are smart enough, you are capable enough to know that you are sinning, and that's the point in time when, when a relationship starts or when you know, the, the sin is really you know, compounded upon you. Before that time, if you die, you're going to go to heaven anyway. All these things, I don't want to debate that right now. I'm just telling you I know it's out there. My point is we were all born into sin. My point is that at some point in time, we all sin. We, we do something wrong. Whether it's, it's you know, yelling at your parents, not honoring your mother and father, whether it's stealing something small, at some point in time we're all going to sin, and those sins begin to compound, right? That, that's when we talk about payment for sin, those sins compound. So you, you do little things here and there. If you sin one time, of, one time every single day, just one time, and you did it for a year, how many times is that? 365. Simple math, right? 365. Over the lifetime of 10 years, you're 10 years old, right? Let's say for the sake of argument, you started when you were one. You're now tw 10 years old. Or, or let's take it a little bit differently, right? You were 10. That's the age of accountability. You're 20 years, years old now. You've been alive for 10 years. You only sin one time a day. You're very conscious about it. You only sin one time a day. You're 20 years old now. It's been 10 years since the age of accountability started. You're, you're sinning 365 days a year, so it's what? 36,500 sins that are now attributed to you. I'm sorry, thank, thank you. 3,650 sins now attributed to you. And, and what other religions tell us is that you can offset those bad sins with good works. And that when you do those good works, they will, they will unbalance or they will take off those sins. But you would have to do, just according to this math, 3,650 3, things to offset that thing, those, those sins. And, and who sins once a day? I mean, come on. And we haven't even gotten to degrees of sin yet, right? Is, is stealing the same as, as murder? Is, is it the same as adultery? 
I can't answer that. I'm not God. I'm just saying. You, you think about those degrees of sinfulness. And if we're going to account, attribute one point to those sins, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to get into the semantics of it. My point is every other religion believes that you can do good works to offset those bad works. And I would argue that it's somewhat of an impossibility to think that way because you would have to be extremely conscious of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Jesus came to remove all that. When you look at, again, putting the cart before the horse, when you look at the Old Testament and what God tried to provide the children of Israel, he essentially said that. Look, here's the good things, all the good things that you need to do, and here's a list of all the bad things that you need to stay away from. And what happened? Even though they had this list, they were still messing up. They were still going anti the quote-unquote law of God. The, the children of Israel, even with a blueprint in their hand, were unable to, to continue down the path. Why? Because naturally, the, the selfishness and the greed and the lust came out of them. That, that is what we are born into. And, and they steered toward that. And so even though God gave them uh, a path and said, do this, don't do this, they continued to go away from that path. And so what did God do? He sent his only son to die for us, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and the salvation of mankind through him. That's what we believe. That, that's foundational for us. So we believe in God and we believe in Jesus. Now, in, in many books of, on theology and stuff, you will hear this next one being stated before everything else, and that's fine. Uh, we're, we're not going to debate why this is a better way or a worse way or whatever. Um, the next thing we talk about then is the Bible. What is it that you as a Christian believe about the Bible? In fact, let me, let me read some other ones before we get into that. John 1 verse 10, he was in the world, this is Jesus, and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Galatians 3.22, But the scripture has concluded all are under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. There's a, there's a train of thought right now. This is why I'm saying this. There's a train of thought right now out there in this world from um, the, the, the Episcopalian, the Catholic, and, and certain sects of the Christian world that believe, and, and hear me because of the deception in here, that believe God is all loving. Don't you agree with that? God loves you. He loves everybody. 
So we agree with that. Here's, here's the fallacy, though. They take it to an unnatural extension, and that extension is if God loves everyone, and Jesus came to this earth to die for everyone's sins, then by extension, if you are a Muslim or an atheist or agnostic, it doesn't matter, God loves you, Jesus already died for your sins, so you're going to heaven. That's the natural extension that exists right now out there in this world. It doesn't matter what you are or what you believe, Jesus Christ died for your sins and therefore your sins are no more and therefore everybody gets to go to heaven. That's a wonderful way to look at it. Why? Because, wow, grace, mercy, God loves everybody, that's awesome. However, however, the Bible makes it very clear. These, these are just two scriptures that I plucked out. The Bible makes it very clear that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. To those that believe on his name. But the scripture has concluded, Galatians 3 again, all are under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them, to them that believe. There is a requirement inside these scriptures telling us you have to believe in this in order to take that next step into the kingdom of God. There's no bypassing this stuff. John 3.16, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So foundational to our belief is A, there is one God, B, that one God sent his only son to die for our sins, and if I, as an individual, believe in him, I will be saved. Then you get into, well, what does believe mean? This is a hard one. This, this is the one that we debated in, in, um, in seminary all the time. If, if Hitler, dramatic pause, if Hitler on his deathbed said, I believe in Jesus, would he have gone to heaven? It's one of those hotly debated topics, and you could go back and forth, and, well, what's the definition of believe? And, and he said he believed, and everybody who believes, and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I think it's way more complicated than that. I, I believe that believe is about lifestyle. It's about faith. It's about the, the, the whole collection of you as a you, your mind, your body, your soul, your strength, has to believe, and it's not just words. You know, when you, when you think about those that are, that are dying, that are on their deathbed, and a priest comes over and he says, you know, do you want to uh, ask for forgiveness of your sins, and, and do you want to accept Christ as your Savior? And, and those that are on their deathbed, whether they're, on, um, they're, they're dying in a hospital or, or going to um, the electric chair, whatever you want to call it, for those that call on the name of the Lord and say, yes, you know, forgive me, I'm so sorry, right? The, the debate is, well, do, did they really believe? They didn't live for Jesus, and so they are, are they allowed into heaven? You think about the, the guy on the cross right next to Jesus, and Jesus turns to him and says, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He forgave him right then and there. The guy didn't live for him. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't, probably didn't know God. We don't know if he was a Jew. We don't know if he had a lifestyle of, of living for God. All we know for a fact is that Jesus turned to him and said, I forgive you, you'll be with me in paradise today. This is a complicated, 
complex subject that I'm not going to answer here today. There's just no way I can. It's a debate that we have to go through. But here's what we do know. Jesus died for you. And when you believe in your heart, this is scripture, and confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. When and how and all that stuff is, is semantics that obviously we struggle with, that we need to figure out, that we have to go into scripture to, to ascertain, but it is foundational to what we believe, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and we are able to move to the Father because of that. God, Jesus, and then the, that third one is, what, do you, what is it that you believe about the Bible? Because if you believe that the Bible is a good book with a few things for you to know and, and grow, and you can put it on your shelf along with all of the other theology and, and religion and philosophy books out there, then, then you're welcome to believe that. But, you, but you're putting yourself in a position to, to separate what you believe from what I believe to be the foundation of knowing God. And that is, and this church believes this, that the entire book, the, the Bible that you have in front of your pew is God's word. And the words that are in that book are true. Every single one of them. This is, this is in, in, in contest out there in the world because of the things that it says in there. There's a lot of, people think, inconsistencies. There's a lot of contradictions. There's things that it says that people don't understand. If, if we go with the idea that the Bible is God's word, then by extension, the things written in the book are God's words to his people. The themes that are present throughout scripture are inspired by God and meant to steer and exhort us as believers into right standing with him. That, that is the book. That is the Bible. The themes are there to, to steer you, to navigate you, to get you where you need to go in order to understand him. Again, putting the cart before the horse, 1 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why do I keep saying I'm putting the car before the horse? Because I'm, I'm quoting scripture in order for us to lay this foundation. And, and so you could argue, well, you, you can't lay this foundation when, the, when scripture is floor number three, right? Which is why I said many people believe you got to put this one first. This is that, that bottom level of foundation. I don't disagree with that, right? We, as a church, believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that every word in there is, is true. The, what, where we get into trouble is an interpretation. So we, we should all know what the Bible is made up of, right? It's 66 books, 39 from the Old Testament, 27 from the New Testament. When you break down the, the Old Testament, you get these, these five books of, of Moses that are the Pentateuch. These are the, uh, the Torah for the Jewish people. Then you get into uh, books of history, you get into books of poetry. You get into books of, of prophets, right? Well, I've, I've spoken on Jesus as that prophet, priest, and king, prophet, priest, and king. That's all outlined in the Old Testament. The New Testament then is the new covenant, New Testament, of his blood. This is the, the start of the life of Jesus, and it goes into all of the, the acts of the apostles and, and what happened. So the first four books 
are the good news, the bridge between the Old Testament and the, and the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. That first book, Matthew, was written by a guy who said, hey, Jews, come with me. Here's how you get there. Boom, 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 boom. He writes all these things for the Jews to understand what it is that Jesus did and why he is the Messiah. And then you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is Jesus is now gone. Where do we go from here? It's the beginnings of the church. From there you get Paul who wrote a ton of books. So you get all the Pauline epistles, all his books right there in order. Boom, 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 boom. In order from, from largest to smallest. There's some themes in there that we need to read about. And then we get into Hebrews. We really don't know if Paul wrote Hebrews, so we put it at the end because we think he did, but we don't know if he did. And after Hebrews is all the other guys that wrote stuff. And then you get into Revelation, right? The end of the world, the apocalypse. That's the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. We believe both of them, both of them are foundational to understanding God who he is and what he wants us to do. When you look at the Old Testament, thematically, it's about Jesus. All the steps that he took to get us to Jesus. So, so these three things, one God, Jesus, the Bible, is, is basically our trinity of belief. You have to have these three things. Why, why is this important? Why am I even saying all this? You know this. You've been living it. I've been with you while you're living it. So why am I saying all this? Because you have to know that you know. You have to believe what you believe. Do you believe it? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in these holy scriptures. Let me tell you something. When you have that foundation, it is so firm that nothing can shake you from there. When you get shaken from there, it's because one of these three things is off. One of these three things is off. So when I think about and I hate doing this. I, I hate it. I hate that, that we are reactionary in, in, our, in our services now as, as a church. Not, not this body, but church in general. Christianity, if you will. We're reactionary to what the world is doing as opposed to proactively uh, enhancing the, the ministry and the actions that God wants to do. I hate that I, that I feel like I have to be in this position. I hate that I have to I don't hate that I have to talk about this, but I hate that, that we have to lay foundation over and over and over again. It, it's like Paul was saying, right? You're just, you're drinking milk. You got to get past that milk and go on to the deeper things. As a church, we have committed to go on to those deeper things. We have. So why am I laying this foundation again? Because I had to know that I believed these things. And guess what? I do. I believe there is one God. I believe that Jesus Christ came to die for my sins, and I believe that every word in Scripture is true. Where, where we diverge now, here's the, the, the last divergence, is in interpretation. If you believe that every word in the Bible is true and should be followed to the letter, quote-unquote, then we get into issues of interpretation and what does that mean. It is dangerous for us to take scripture out of context to make a point. It's dangerous. We must not only look at what, what is being said, but the context of why it is being said. And a great example of that is found in 1 Corinthians 14. You'll recognize this. We talk about it a lot. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, if only. For it is not permitted unto them to speak 
but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also says the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Let's go outside. Hotly contested, that scripture. Because if we are to believe every word that is in the Bible as truth, and, and obviously we don't believe this as a church, but if we were to take, there's like 90% women in here actually. If we were to take, we were to take the, the scripture as you got to follow that, right? We would look at this scripture, and, and for, the, for years the church did this, right? We would look at this scripture and say, well, women aren't allowed to minister. You, you can't take the mic and speak. You're not allowed. Hey, quiet down. You're a woman, right? But when you look at it in context, then it makes sense. And what's the context? If you read 1 Corinthians 14, what is it talking about? It's talking about speaking in tongues. At the very beginning, it says, look, if you're going to speak in tongues, you do it this way, and you the first, and blah, 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 and, and the, the tongues is a sign not for them that believe, but for them that believe not. And it goes on and on and on and on for 34 verses about speaking in tongues, and then all of a sudden, randomly and for no reason at all, it says women should be silent in the church. So what is it really saying? What it's saying is, look, there is this new thing called speaking in tongues. It's crazy. It's exciting. And, and it is unknown. And what's going to happen, because this is happening, churches, is as my, my ministers are going out and, and they're, uh, my people are, are preaching to you about speaking in tongues and then speaking in tongues erupts, what's happening because of culture in the time, the women are running to their husbands and are saying, honey, what's going on? I don't get it, and they're disrupting service. That's what's happening. And so this scripture is Paul saying, look, women, calm down. It's going to be okay if you have a question, ask your husband when he gets home. This is cultural. This is about the way that women were treated back then. This is about the way that, that women just didn't understand, had to get an answer, disrupting service, and Paul saying, please stop doing that. All things you need to be under submission, okay? Just be obedient. Recognize that the word obedience here is the first time in the Greek that it actually shows up um, in that scripture after they. I'm sorry, but. It is not permitted unto them to speak, but obedience is really how that scripture is translated. The, the Greek word right there, the are commanded to be under, doesn't exist in the Greek. That's put in there by the translators. And what they're trying to say is, look, Submit. Submit. You know who else is told to submit? Christians. <laughs> submit to God. And what, and what does that word really mean? It means, look, I've, I've got thoughts, plans, ideas. What do you think? That's what that word means. And so in no way is this saying women are not allowed to be ministers. They're not allowed to be preachers. They're not allowed to talk. What it's saying is, look, back then, women, y'all need to calm down and to just submit and allow the service to go and do what it needs to do. That is the context of this scripture. But when we do that, here's what we have to be very careful of. When we do that, others now have, have risen up and said, well, if that is taken contextually, there are other scriptures in there that should be taken contextually in the day and age that we live in. One of those items is, for example, homosexuality, right? 
They think, well, back then they didn't understand that, that homosexuality is not a lifestyle. You're born with it. It's scientifically in your DNA, and there's nothing you can do about it. Why would God hate you for being who you are? You've got to live your truth. YOLO. Why? That's, that's where this whole idea of context we have to be very careful of. The, the saving grace here is this, Romans 1, 23. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. Romans 1, 23 through 30. Makes it very clear, very clear. This, this isn't about context. These are bad things that you're doing. Science is not proven and never will that, that there is a gene for homosexuality. It is not proven that. Did you know, scientifically, we, were, we all started out as female. And in, in the womb, every cell is a female until at one point in time it switches, it just changes itself and turns itself into a male. Then you become a male. And, and I was watching a debate in, in, in study for this. I was watching for a debate, and the question was, um, what, what does God think of the, the transsexual, the person who is one gender but believes himself to be another gender? And, and the guy, I think, handled it beautifully, and, and basically he was saying that there is a gap. There is a gap between what we are and where we think we should be and that, that is a true gap. It's a true gap for everybody, regardless of gender. It's called purpose, right? Everybody is looking to find their purpose. And so at the onset, and this happens very quickly um, in your formative years, before you get to puberty, you begin to, your mindset begins to shift and you begin to think about purpose, just not in those terms. You begin to think about your identity. You begin to think about who you are, what you want to be. And there's a, there's a very um, fluid stage in your development right there where you begin to think of what I want to be, what do I want to do, what, what's the point, why am I here? It happens in your adolescence, and as you grow, all the things around you begin to steer that conversation. We live in a day and age where the conversation is now, that's okay. You can be gender binary or fluid or whatever the words they use now are. You can be whatever you want. Live your truth. It's okay. The problem is, that's not truth. Whether it's yours or not, it's not truth. There, there are no scientific DNA-based studies that say that, that homosexuality is ingrained inside of you. It is a choice. The problem is that, that the church, unfortunately, has taken a very uh, harsh stance on what that means. And, and to the detriment of entire Christianity, we, we have failed to understand what it is to truly love. And, and so we have to be very careful and mindful. I have a, a friend at work 
uh, a female coworker who, who lives in, in Maryland, Baltimore, um, who, is, who is a lesbian and a very lovely woman, very, very nice, uh, a good friend of mine, a great coworker. I, I appreciate her work ethic and, and um, I like working with her. I don't judge her for her lifestyle. I don't agree with her lifestyle. I don't judge her lifestyle because I'm, I'm at work. Um, but I pray for her. I pray for her. And, and the last thing that I as a Christian need to do is, quote unquote, distance myself from her because of her lifestyle. Because I have to love her. I don't have to. But God calls us to love people. What, what I won't do is get into a debate with her about whether her lifestyle is, is right or wrong. If she were to ask me, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says, and this is what I believe. But hey, I love you, and God wants to have a right relationship with you. And there, obviously, that's some change. That, that, you know why that doesn't happen? Because we are not, as Christians, prepared to have those conversations. It takes mentorship. It takes love, agape. It takes time. It takes commitment. And we're just not ready for that. For whatever reason, we as people aren't ready for that. We have to have prophecy. We have to have uh, the rhema. We have to have the logos. We have to be ready for those types of conversations, and we're not. And so what has, not this church, but what has the church done? They've pushed it back and said, hey, if you're going to be that, stay out until you're ready to come on in. That's the problem with Christianity as a whole. And, and that's where you get this then, this, this complete overthrow of love. Because people have seen that in the church and they're saying, okay, you know what? No, 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 that's wrong. We need to love them. We need to love them into the congregation. We need to love them in. The problem with loving them in is accepting the lifestyle. That's the problem. We can love them. We can bring them in, but we can't accept it. If there was a murder, a known murderer in our congregation, would we accept that? No. If there was a known adulterer, a known pedophile, would we accept that? No. No. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we start kicking these people out, but, but I'm talking about acceptance as in, look, that's wrong. You can't do that. Let me talk to you about, about restitution, about getting out of that. It's not about kicking out. It's about bringing into realignment with where they need to be. That's the problem that the church has had. It's either accept them the way they are or kick them out, and those, both of those are wrong. We have to be a people, and, and Brother Mark alluded to this on Wednesday, if, if, if not right out said it. We have to be a people that can understand rebuke, exhortation, getting people in line with what God needs them to be. So what is the lesson here? There's a foundation that we have to have. I, I've, I've spoken it here today. The, the semantics found within there are something that, that we as a people have to figure out. You have to figure out what you believe. But when you have those three things, you're going to find you are in alignment with the purpose and the plan of God. There is one God. Jesus Christ came to die for your sins, and you have to believe in that. And the word of God is inspired and his and he's telling you how to live let's look at mark chapter 12 verse 29 and jesus answered him the first of all the commandments is this 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If I sin, I'm hard on myself, but I, I will try to forgive myself and come into, back to a right relationship with God. That, that is how I love myself. I, I love myself to the point of saying, look, snap out of it. Get back in line with God. That is the same thing that we have to be able to do as a people with those around us. Hey, snap out of it. Get back in line with God. We do that to our children, right? We discipline them. Hey, don't touch that. You're going to burn yourself. Hey, don't eat that much candy. You're going to get a sugar rush and we're going to be up all night. Hey, don't do that thing over there. That's bad. We discipline our children. We don't hate them. We love them. We exhort them. We rebuke them, but we love them. And we tell them these are the things that have to happen. That's what God does to us. That is how we live our lives. 2 Timothy 4, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Isn't that sound like today? But after their own lust shall he, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from the ears, their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. I'm going to leave you with this, and then we're going to take communion, because there's a lot more that I could say. There was a, a prophetic word that came out, a uh, prophetic song that came out of this church a long time ago, and, and it's the title of this sermon. And, and the words are this, it's how you feel about me, that, that is truth. No other truth, no other truth will do. I am called, I am chosen, I am wanted, and I'm holding on to the promise that you told me. That was the prophetic word broken out sung out from this stage, Jesus loves you. That's the foundation. Jesus loves you. And no other truth is going to get you where you think you're going to go. No other truth but that one. When we talk about debating, and if I were a Muslim, would I be preaching this thing? Well, obviously not. I wouldn't be in this church. But if I was raised a Muslim, would I be preaching this? Probably not. Why? Because of my circumstances, my, my upbringing, the, the things that have brought me to the place where I am today. So how can I say with confidence that what I believe is true? I'll tell you why. I, I, just, I just did tell you why. Because it doesn't make sense for there to be multiple God. It just does not make sense. It doesn't make sense for us to be able to get there on our own. It just doesn't make sense. Someone has to do it for us. And it doesn't make sense for us to say that this is the word of God, but I'm only going to believe parts of it. It just doesn't make sense. The foundation that you believe sets up everything else that we do, and that's why the church is, this church is where it is today. Why we believe in, in diverse tongues and, and, and the, the fivefold ministry and all the crazy things that we believe in because... It's in the word. If you go outside of this book, you go outside of this book, you're putting yourself in trouble. There are churches out there that have done that. 
Joseph Smith. Hey, yeah, I, I get the book, but man, these angels over here, they gave me these golden tablets. You know, well, you can't see them. They're only visible to me. But these golden tablets, they're, they're truth. They're life. Let me share them with you. And he started this massive religion out of it. That's when we get into trouble and we go outside the word of God. All right, now I'm, I'm, now I'm just repeating myself. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you that you love me. Today, Lord, as we partake of communion, help us to remember our foundation and the things that we hold dear and let us not waver from those beliefs. And Lord, where we do waver from those beliefs, rebuke us, exhort us, bring us back into alignment with your word. Father, I, I speak this forth not because I'm here to change someone's mind in this congregation or, or necessarily in the saints' network. Father, I speak these things as an affirmation of my belief in you, in your son, and in your word. I speak it now prophetically, and I declare that you are God, that your son died for my sins, and that your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Lord, as we partake, help us to commune with you. Speak to us. Allow us to say we love you because we do. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Kelly, if you don't mind, would you start some music? I'm going to invite you to come and um, partake of communion. I was actually unaware that it was Communion Sunday until I walked in this, this morning. Um, but it's fitting. See how God does things? It's fitting that we have an opportunity to commune with the Lord um, and what, what he did for us, the sacrifice that he gave for us, and, and reaffirm this idea that you died for me, and, and, and in remembrance of that, I'm going to partake of these elements. And so, Father, we bless the elements. We, we thank you for your sacrifice of your son, and, and we just pray that you be with us now as, as we partake. Uh, God bless you all. Have a great rest of the afternoon, and we will see you tonight in prayer. Come on up and partake. Amen.